together. Father, I thank you that we have this incredible freedom to gather in Jesus' name. And we know that there are many places around our world today where believers in Jesus, followers of the Lord Jesus, have to meet in secret because they don't have the same freedoms that we do. Father, we pray that you'll bless them in their gatherings. We pray that you'll bless them as they come under the word of God and as they seek to live their lives as followers of Jesus in the communities that you have them in. We pray the same for us, Lord, that that we won't take your word lightly, that we'll listen to it, that you'll um, uh, implant your word into our minds, that we won't forget it, but certainly, Father, that you'll empower us to live it out. And so we pray today that, Lord, we'll hear your word and it will be life-changing for each one of us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're looking at, as you've seen, the topic of gentleness. Germinating gentleness, I've called it. A little bit of a whistle there. See if you can, don't know what you can do. Just turn the gain down a little bit, that might help. I want to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, just the first nine verses there, and it'll give us a bit of a flavour of what uh, gentleness from God is all about. So turn with me, if you've got it, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I think I've got them on... Oh, we'll come back to that. There we go. And this is what Paul writes to the believers at Thessalonica. He says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously. Hold on. Is that it? Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. In Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you this gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. Do you see where Paul's coming from? What he might have to say is quite strong. So he's not there to please men. He's there to please God. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. But we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. That uh, verse 7 in the King James Version says this, But we were gentle among you. It says there, but we were, yeah, we were gentle among you. Even as a nurse cherishes her children, we were gentle among you. Verse 9 says, Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work day and night in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel to you. Now, I've known some pastors over the years who are not that gentle in the way they communicate. Um, you might have noticed it, but I'm not a shouter. And uh, I don't shout when I preach, but I know some guys that to try and get the point across, they are loud. And often, we, if we're visiting that church, I'd say to Cheryl, don't think I could sit here and listen to this every Sunday. 
I don't think I could be shouted at every Sunday. But there's, there's places to be forceful. There's places to be loud. But there are some interesting comments about pastors and their style or their approach that I thought I'd share with you this morning. You might be able to identify with one or two of these. I heard about a minister who received a, a note from a, an 11-year-old boy, and it said, I liked your sermon on Sunday, especially when it was finished. Don't get any ideas. <laughs> a little girl became restless during the preacher's sermon because it dragged on and on. And finally she leaned over to her mother and whispered, if we give him the money now, will he finish? <laughs> I love these sort of comments. We come to study number eight, if you like, in the uh, Developing Your Christian Character series and looking at the virtue of gentleness, the fruit of gentleness. Now, I, I hope that we see more of this fruit in one another's lives than we see in the world. Because in the world, often it's dog-eat-dog, climbing the ladder, I'm better than you are, mine's bigger than yours, my car shines brighter than yours. And I hope that in our church and in the churches that we are a part of, that we see this virtue, this fruit of gentleness, more and more uh, growing in our lives individually and also together collectively. Before I go into gentleness in in a fairly solid way, I want to do a quick review of what we looked at over the last seven weeks or so. Just a brief review. I think there's about seven points. We cannot create fruit on our own. Do you agree? Fruit of the Spirit we're talking about here. It's something that God gives to us by His Spirit. We can't, we can't be, we can't create ourselves as the most loving person, the most joyous person. It's God's Spirit that comes into our lives. Galatians 5 and verse 17 reminds us that normally our sinful nature pervades. What we see of God's Spirit doing in our lives is contrary. It's opposite, if you like, to that sinful nature. And that's what we want. We want God to be having an impact in our lives. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So let's allow God's Spirit to bring that fruit out in our lives. We can't create ourselves. I think I said a few weeks ago that the fruit of the Spirit is a package deal. You just can't have a smorgasbord selection. You can't go and say, Oh, I want peace, or I want patience, or I want love, or I want joy. The Spirit gives all the fruit, and he brings them out according to his timing in our lives. So it's a package deal. And he's working on us the whole of our lives. And the key to this fruit coming out is not working at it, it's worshipping God. Worshipping God and trusting him more. That's when we'll see this fruit come out. The focus is on Christian character development. Um, it's that gift of the Spirit through salvation, but more than that, it's the gifts of the Spirit, which we have listed in the Scriptures, but it's also, also these this, um, abilities to serve, an ability to build character. And that's what we've been looking at in these special abilities. A fourth reason, thing we've looked at, the fruit must be displayed both individually and collectively. So we are expecting the fruit to be evident in our lives individually. If we're surrendering, if we're submitting to the control of God and allowing his spirit to uh, have his way in our lives, 
then we will see the fruit of the Spirit. What are they that we've looked at so far? Anybody remember? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and now we're up to gentleness. And we've got one more to go next week. I guess we pray, we hope, that the fruit will be expressed collectively. The people will come among us and say, you guys love one another. You got, I got told yesterday that I've got to use inclusive language in certain sectors in our community, non-discriminative. So when I say guys, I mean everybody, not just the fellas. Wouldn't it be great if people come to our gatherings, wherever they are, in people's homes or here, and they have this incredible sense of peace because the presence of God is in that place. They see people who are patiently waiting to do God's will. All those things. That's what. But we know, we know, those of us who are gardeners, and I don't claim to be a gardener, we know this. Not all fruit ripens at the same time. True? So not all of us are going to be peaceful at the same time or, or, or growing in that attitude of peace or, or joy or whatever. It will happen at different times. But it will happen. The fruit of the Spirit should be the result of living the normal Christian life. We shouldn't be hoping for these things. We should be expecting them. We should be desiring that God would fill us with His Spirit so that we become more joyous people, that we become more faithful people. That's the norm, not the exception of living, of following Jesus. And the other one I spoke of a couple of weeks ago, bearing fruit is both a gift and a task. What did I say then? It's this paradox in living for Christ. It's all, the fruit is always a gift, but it requires some work on our part. Not to, achieve, not to receive that gift, but to see it implemented in our lives. It's both a gift and a task. Why don't we say Galatians 5, 22 and 23 together to remind ourselves of what we've been considering over these weeks. Let's read it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now if I was to ask you how would you describe gentleness, I wonder what you would say. You might Google your dictionary and uh, say that it's often being considerate or being mild. Some people see gentleness as being meek, which they equate to weak, which is not. How else would you describe gentleness? And I love the puppet this morning, looking after a newborn baby. you just got to be gentle uh, with them because they're so fragile. The Bible definition... The Bible definition is much fuller or stronger. The Bible definition of gentleness is power under control. Think about that for a minute. Power under control. I love the Greek language and uh, had the opportunity to study it at uh, Bible college many years ago and have researched it over the time. One thing I noticed about the Greeks is that when they have a word for something, they have a picture or an illustration that they have in mind. And... Uh, this word power under control, it's that picture of a very powerful horse that has been tamed. Everybody's got that picture in their head now, haven't they? Think, think man from Snowy River, one. Uh, that, that stallion that he tamed and ultimately rode 
uh, to the rescue, as it were, at the end of the movie. This is the picture of gentleness. Now, I don't know that we think about gentleness that way, do we? We don't think about this power that's been tamed. I was uh, trying to get a picture of a stallion, but there's so many that I just couldn't put one up, so I didn't, uh, to remind us of what it was. But now let me see. We've got some horse lovers and horse doctors around the place. Um, I didn't know that there was a term called gentling. Is that correct? The gentling of horses? I didn't know that. But that's where it comes from. It's this, the power to control, or that power under control, the taming of a horse when they're broken into. Now, when I was out in Mount Isa, I saw some awful breaking in of horses, awful misuse of power to control a horse. But then I saw a couple of people that we probably call horse whisperers today. And I thought about that. Mm, how does God have, the, have power under control in our lives? And I thought... Maybe he's a spirit whisperer to us. Maybe if we're listening to his spirit, our power, our lives will be under his control. Jonathan Edwards, one of the preachers of the 17th century, said this. Oh, oh, here we are. Gentleness may well be called the Christian spirit. All who are truly godly are real disciples of Christ. Have a gentle spirit in them. The question I have to ask myself is, is that what people are seeing in me? Are people seeing a, a gentle person? Are people seeing truly a gentle man? Now, we don't have gentle women, do we? But we should. You know, gentle ladies and gentlemen, it should be gentle women and gentle men. Okay? Is that what people are seeing in us? People who, first of all, allow God's spirit to have our power under his control. And willingly, that we offer that willingly to him. Why is this true? And I think what uh, Pat said earlier in, in looking at the nature of God. God, believe it or not, is a God who is gentle. Do you believe me? I hope you do, because the Bible tells us that. And so we're going to look at that briefly this morning, the gentleness of Jesus. I'm going to skip through a few passages. You might just take notes and uh, look at them up later. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 to 7, Paul describes the person of Jesus, the person of God, sorry, and God's gentleness in many passages. And we know that Jesus is the is God's son. We know that he is in every real way the embodiment of God, the representation of God in our world. And I believe he shows gentleness to the nth degree. He is powerful. He is all-powerful. He was there at creation. He is, he is able to um, lay down his life willingly. God gave him the power to raise, rise from the dead, and yet he showed people meekness, humility, and gentleness. We should look at Jesus and learn from him. Sorry, Philippians chapter 2 says, Paul writes, Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That power under control. That taming of the wild horse. I don't know about you, but I've got that picture stuck in my mind. Maybe I've just been looking at too many this week. But this is what gentleness is about from a biblical perspective. What were people of the day expecting of the Messiah or the Saviour? Let me read some things that they might have said or that we could easily say. 
We look for a king born of royalty. Instead, we find a baby born to a peasant girl, laid in strips of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Is that power under control? That's what Jesus did, didn't he? He left the realms of glory to come to this earth to show us what God was like. When we look to Jesus to take the world by storm, to win over those who have power, influence and prestige, we find him instead speaking gently to the weak and the outcast. Who did he connect with mostly? Those that didn't think they had their life together. When we look for him to make his move by entering into the city on a white pony as the coming king, what did he choose? The colt of a donkey. Humble. If we were the disciples and we gathered with him in the upper room, we'd expect to hear his battle plans for overcoming the Romans. Instead, he drops to his knees, calls his disciple around and washes their feet and says, do what I do. Be a servant. When Jesus went to the, before the authorities, he could have easily stood up for himself. But what does it say? Didn't even make a reply. Not even to a single charge against him. To the great amazement of the authorities, the governor. And what about the end of the story? In Revelation, John could have written about this conquering king, and he did. But look at his description here. Oop, missed it. Revelations 5, 6 says, looking for the conquering lion or the conquering king to open the seven scrolls. Instead, John sees a gentle lamb looking as if it had been slain. Totally opposite to what the world would expect. And we know that throughout the scripture, Jesus uh, gave himself a number of names. Do you remember some of them? He's the bread of life, the vine, the light of the world. But not all of them describe his character or personality. Instead, he invites people, us, as we read Matthew, to hear this. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do we listen to Jesus' words to come? If we are burdened, come to him because he is gentle and humble in heart and he will take his burden, our burdens, on himself. In the very next chapter of Matthew, Matthew 12, the Pharisees get angry with Jesus and they plan to kill him because he healed a man on the Sabbath. Was Jesus there to put the Pharisees down? No, he was there to meet the needs of those that were really hurting and so to, to avoid any conflict with them, we're told that Jesus withdrew to a quiet place. Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him and he healed all their sick. Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus' time, had a prophecy about what the Messiah would be like, what his nature would be like. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, he says that this is what he'll be like. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out, till he leads justice to victory. Anybody read that passage recently? Anybody ever read it and thought, what's that mean? 
It's talking about the gentleness of Jesus. It's talking about his nature, his personality. When you consider the reeds, we know what reeds are like. They're between a, a metre and three metres tall. They usually grow in marshy areas. Well, that was the case in Palestine and Egypt. But they were used as a symbol of weakness in the Bible. There's nothing you could do with them. Oh, you could probably weave a basket or something like that with them. But as far as structurally uh, valuable, they weren't. And so they were, they were considered weeds. In Matthew 11, oh, I haven't got that in. Jesus describes the weed as, as the, uh, the reed, sorry, as being swayed by the wind. They had no strength. Whether they were short or tall, they had no strength. In Matthew 27, at the time of crucifixion, it says this, verse 29, And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him, mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Did you ever know why they gave him a reed? Anybody know? Because it wasn't a staff. It wasn't a strong uh, staff. It was a fragile, non-important reed. And they were mocking him, who was the King of kings and Lord of lords. They knew in their mocking him that he was powerless. You couldn't go to battle with a reed. You go to battle with a spear or a shaft. So what can we say about the reeds? And I think it's important for us to know this. If we're thinking about the term gentleness, Jesus was like. He wouldn't, he wouldn't damage a reed, the Bible says. That's how gentle he was. The reed was a weak piece of nature. If a bird landed on it, it would break. Often along the edge of swamps or rivers, the reeds fell over on the path and people didn't even clear them out of the way. They just walked across the top of them. And that's what that word bruising a reed uh, comes from. There was nothing more frail or brittle than a reed. And Jesus wouldn't damage a reed, the Bible tells us. The second thing is that the reeds were worthless. Like I said, apart from making a basket out of them, they weren't special at all, except that they were easily broken. Many times people are like bruised reeds. Uh, we hear the word being offended uh, put out there a lot and often, often it's because people are fragile. And Jesus knew that. In fact, the psalmist knew that. In Psalm uh, 103, verse 15, he says, As for man, his days are like grass. Reeds. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind is passed over it, it is no more. And its place acknowledges it no longer. Fragile. And people are like that. And sometimes we forget. Sometimes the way we talk to people, sometimes the way we interact with people, we forget that they are often fragile. In the scriptures, the reeds uh, tend to signify uh, the poor and the oppressed and, and to be bruised or, or broken through hard times is where the, the picture is often used. David knew this. He knew this. And, and he knew what we were like when he wrote this verse. Oh, didn't put it up there either. God will not despise a broken spirit. He will not despise a humble heart. He wants us to come to him. 
So I wonder this morning, is there any avenue of your life where you feel weak or worthless or, or fragile? There are storms of life. We sang about that in that last song, one of those songs we sang this morning. Has disobedience to God scarred you? Have you done something that you have these scars in your life about? You're feeling bruised, you're feeling broken. Jesus isn't there to cause any more grief. He is there to heal and restore. Psalm 147 verse 3 says this. Oh, there we are. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Jesus is gentle. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not stuff out a smouldering wick on a candle. The wicks in those days were often made out of linen and as they got to the end of the oil, they would get quite smoky because they're starting to burn charcoal as well and people would just snuff them out. Jesus won't do that if you're going through a tough time. He'll add extra oil and he'll fan that flame, that uh, wick into, into light again. He would make you worthwhile. How do we know that? He says in his word, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Just like we handle a newborn baby, Jesus handles bruised reeds with care and compassion. How do we respond to that? Do we say, yes, Lord, I surrender to you. I want you to meet me in my fragileness at the moment. That's what he will do. But he also requires us to um, model or to follow his model of gentleness. And there's verses in the scriptures I want to touch on briefly that talk about the gentleness of Jesus' followers. Paul writes in Philippians 4 verse 5, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. When I read that, I went, gulp. I haven't always done that. Uh, Sometimes I've been more forthright than I should have been gentle. And yet that's the command that we're asked to follow. We, when we walk closely with Jesus, should be allowing his gentleness to rub off on us if that's the way it goes. In fact, that's the only way we can be gentle, by walking closely with Jesus. The Bible gives us two tasks to aim for in regards to gentleness. The first thing we need to do is pursue it. Again, in 1 Timothy, Paul writes, But you, men of God, flee from all this. He's talking about um, the love of money. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faithful, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So we should pursue it, chase after it, want it in our lives, that gentleness that comes from knowing Jesus. And the second thing we're told to do is to put it on, to clothe ourselves with gentleness. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. How do we do that? This is the end of the sermon this morning. Four applications on how we might clothe ourselves with gentleness, pursue, pursue gentleness, see gentleness germinate in our lives as a, as a willful desire of serving and knowing Christ. Here's one. Some of us probably do this. Practice prayer and fasting. When we pray for others, it's difficult to be harsh or angry with them. That's been my experience. When we bring our enemies before the throne of grace, 
We begin to see them with the eyes of Jesus, with tenderness rather than anger. And as we pray, we enter into God's very presence, which should give us that profound sense of humility for our own lives and that sense of grace, that sense of love towards those that have caused us some grief. We come as um, fellow bruised reeds, if you like, fellow smouldering wicks, that we might, we might experience the grace, the mercy, the gentle healing of God. In Isaiah 57 and verse 15, the prophet writes this, For this is what the high and lofty one says, talking of God, He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So God's there for those that are hurting. And Jesus uh, amplifies that when he talks about bringing our burdens to him. So we, we should practice prayer and fasting. And if you're not sure how to do that, come and see me. I'd love to encourage you in it. It's quite a discipline that draws us close to God. Give grace to people is a second application. Do we um, get on well with people who've got rough edges in their lives? I often talk about the men's shed and I say there are a bunch of rough diamonds down there, but they get on well together because they're rubbing the edges off each one another. Uh, Proverbs says that as uh, one man um, lost the verse, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. That's right. Give grace to people. We've received this unmerited favour from God. We should be showing that to others. We shouldn't make people try to earn our gentleness. They, they should be seeing our gentleness right from the word go. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another, bearing with one another in love. Who needs to grow a little bit in the area of gentleness? I do. I do. Sometimes we can be very direct and we need to realize that we're not all at the same level, but God wants us to, to grow and develop. We, we need to be reminded that no one's, ex, no one's perfect except Christ, except God alone. Dare I say that your spouse is not perfect today? So I don't want to dash anybody's um, ideas about their spouse, but your spouse is not perfect. And sometimes, um, sometimes we tell them that and we should be more gentle about that. Sometimes we forget that our kids are not perfect either and we tell them that. Sometimes we think that our pastor's not perfect either and you tell me that, I understand. But do you know God's in the business of making us perfect? And we need to be gentle with one another. Which path will you take when you come across a person that's causing you some difficulty? Will you show grace and gentleness or will you condemn that person? We need to think about what God's saying to us to pursue gentleness, to, to clothe ourselves in gentleness. Sometimes we're asked to come alongside people that are doing the wrong thing. Galatians 6, Paul says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you, are to, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. 
but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. What I think Paul's getting at here is that gentle words can often penetrate a hard heart. If people have become hardened towards God, they don't want to be criticized, they don't want to be shouted at. But if we can speak to them gently about what we know to be true about the Lord Jesus and what we know to be true of the grace of God, then often that might uh, penetrate that hard heart. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, Those who oppose him, he must gently, this is the young pastors he's talking about, those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. I wonder if we are gentle, if we show grace towards people. A third action is to speak gentle words. Isn't it so easy to shout in the car when you're on, the own, on your own at the person that's caused you some road rage? You know, it's easy to do that because they won't hear you unless your window's down. But we don't do that face-to-face, do we? Or do we? Sometimes we say some harsh words. And I think that we've got to learn how to be gentle from what God's word says. I found this statement. It's a prayer. Lord, make my words soft and gentle today because I may have to eat them tomorrow. I think some of us have been there. And... uh, Now, we've had a big emphasis on germs and bacteria recently, but I want to tell you that we should be out there spreading the germs of gentleness. We should be allowing gentleness to germinate through us. How do we do that? And Ephesians, Paul says this, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. If you're shouting at somebody, if you're criticising at somebody, are they listening to you? I don't. Somebody criticises me, wall goes up. But if they speak to me gently and in a caring way, even though they might be criticising me, I'm more likely to hear them. The Proverbs are great when it comes to gentleness. A gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. Anybody been there? Anybody been in a situation where you're in a highly intense situation, maybe there's a lot of shouting going on, and somebody just says, it could be you, it could be somebody else, just says a a quiet word. Change the situation around. God knows how we react. God knows what's right. Chapter 15, verse 4 in Proverbs, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a, a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit we should be gentle and Proverbs 25 through patience a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can make a make a break a break a bone I've been in a situation where it's been a highly intense situation and with a gentle comment it's just changed that situation around this is these are the things that we can do practically the final point, and this is where we finish, witness with gentleness. Sometimes, as believers, we can be pretty tough on those that don't know Jesus yet. We might use a pre-packaged gospel presentation and we have to get through it or else they won't know how to be saved. Don't let them interrupt us. We've got to get through this gospel presentation. The Bible tells us to treat people with dignity and respect. No matter how they're living, speak to them 
gently in a caring voice. Show them the fruit of the spirits in our lives. Let, it, let, let our lives be on public display. And then we'll have people saying, I want what she's got or I want what he's got. Lost people want to know the reason, that the hope we have. 1 Peter 3 says to us, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We might have to practice that. So let me summarise this morning with these comments. Jesus came for the sake of those who fail. He came as a friend to the friendless, a mender of broken hearts, a comforter for those who mourn, a hero of the helpless, a bearer of burdens for the heavily laden, and a gentle saviour who will not break you or snuff you out. That's the Jesus that we know, and that's the model that we have to live a life of gentleness. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that I've got a long way to go, that you are shaping me and making me into who you want me to be, and I know that that's true for all of us. And sometimes gentleness is not the spirit, not the fruit of the Spirit that people see. Father, I pray for your strength, for the empowering of your Spirit, to grow me in gentleness, Lord. There's often a danger when I pray something like that, Father, that you'll bring me into a situation where I have to show gentleness. But Lord, I pray that you'll make me ready. Make all of us ready, Lord, so that we can be a church that's known as being gentle people for the sake of Jesus. We